Hey, Matt. Hey, Mike. Shall we do the podcast thing? We shall. Here we go. Welcome to, yeah, oh yeah, music. Oh yeah, wasn't that a great, that, that piece of music that Whoever just played right that now? wrote that did a great job. Yeah, good stuff. Welcome to Hacking the Grepson, the podcast where we try to act like no editing is going to happen, but it will. Wait, you edit this? Um, no, I, we just magically talk exactly the right amount. It's amazing. I, I'm looking forward to editing this one much more than the last few, because if, uh, <laughs> if you... If you have not been listening all along. I mean, we are on, we're in the 60s now, and uh, we have done a, a fair amount of episodes about the advent of code. And while this episode is not about the advent of code specifically, I am going to mention it one more time, despite the fact that we're now in mid-February of 2024. Um, hopefully everybody enjoyed the the massive episodes of Wrap Up, especially with our friend Richard. That was really cool that he could uh, join us and talk about uh, all those, he he even gave me the idea. I don't know if anybody listens to this, where they're looking at the visuals of the the podcast. But I actually put some images in it that that hopefully synced with the problems we were talking about. I've never ever tried to do that before, so that was kind of an that was a fun thing. But no, this episode, uh, I'd like to talk about multilingualism, which is a mouthful, and maybe there's a better way to say it: polylingualism. Duolingualism. No sé, es un palabra muy grande. Yes, much, much of the lingual. Um, in Advent of Code, most people choose like a single programming language to do all of the problems that you're in. Uh, but you don't have to. Uh, you can do each problem in a different one. You could not even use programming. You could just write it down on a piece of paper. I did that once. Yeah, and sometimes that's easier, uh, honestly. It really depends on the po- the puzzle and the way you think about it. But one thing I wanted to mention is that unlike the other years of Advent of Code, uh, I went full on to the backlogs after 2023, which I have not done since. I am almost done with all the problems in 2015, which is the first year Advent of Code uh, came out and all the, you know, all the puzzles are up there. So you can, you know, even if you missed a previous year, you can go back and do them. I don't know. I was just really inspired and I just wanted more, even though I still haven't finished 2023, not even close. Um, but I was kind of curious, you know, what 2015 was like when it first started, you know, uh, how, how has it changed? Um, and I decided to do it in Python, which I haven't done as much of. So I've done a lot of Python lately. My brain is Definitely thinking with colons and uh, space, uh, meaningful space. Just as a side note on Python, it's weird. I think I might be coming around to half of the Python way, which is to use a colon at the end of a statement when you're when you're indenting a block versus using curly braces. It seems a lot more efficient and succinct and sleek, but... I'm still not a convert on not having an ending symbol Mm. at the end of a block because it's just, I look for it. I look for it and it's familiar and comfy to have like, wait, where does this thing end? And not having to worry about the indentation, but just looking for the, you know, either a curly brace 
or an end or some kind of thing like that. I don't know. What do you think, Matt? Um, I've always liked the spaces in Python. I, from the beginning, when everyone was complaining about it, I was like, no, this is great. This, <laughs> this makes it way easier to read. Uh, I like, I, I like the colon at the end of, or, or to like introduce a loop or a block basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a problem with the no end statement. In fact, the languages I can think of that do have, not not necessarily the curly brace ones, but the one where you have to like write end or something at the end, like bash where you mm-hmm. do fi to end the if statement, yeah. which has always annoyed me. Um, I don't like those. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, the curly braces doesn't bother me because that's I don't know. Like I, they're like parentheses in my mind, so for whatever reason mm-hmm. they have to match, but words don't have to. Uh, <laughs> Is that because you uh, did a lot of Lisp and you're really used to open close parentheses? It might be. yeah i hadn't ever thought about that but yeah maybe but like parentheses it's it's wrong to not match them whereas (laughs) if i say if i don't have to say fee at the end or end at the end uh (laughs) to get my point across yeah it 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 really i mean i think it just depends on what you're used to like it's it's kind of arbitrary how you in you indent and and signify the beginning and ending of a block. Um, I, I remember when I went from PHP primarily to Ruby, and Ruby is a lot. Uh, I I don't know if terse is is the right word. Like the syntax is a lot more terse. There's there's just less of it, and it and it felt freeing to not have to have all of the extra stuff. You know, it's like some and and it, it almost felt like magic. Like. The compiler just, it just gets it. it. You know, I don't have to be uh, as as uh, overwrought with uh, with all the stuff. I mean, even in JavaScript, I don't use I don't use semicolons anymore. Like that feels too much. <laughs> but I, I know there's people go back and forth on that. I I, I match the style of the repository I'm working in, which currently mm-hmm. all have semicolons in them. Mm-hmm. But I think that that comment about terseness really is important about programming languages at least to me like when i go to write an if statement and especially when i'm trying to match style and whatnot and like okay these people do if space parenthesis space Mm -hmm. statement space end parenthesis space open bracket and then a bunch of stuff and then another bracket and if i want to write a one line if statement that makes me mad (laughs) every time yeah yeah i I mean, I, th- I think my style has, uh, it's just, it, it definitely, you know, it's, uh, evolved over time. Uh, you know, I used to always use semicolons in JavaScript. Uh, I used to sometimes use more space. Like sometimes people put space between the open parenthesis and the next character Yeah, I don't and then that. a space. And then, yeah, I, I see that a lot, especially online. And that's always bugged me. Um, but I do like the space after the if and before the parenthesis. I mean, it's it's irrational. It really, you know, I should pick a side, but I don't know. Sometimes one feels good and the other one doesn't. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I, I think of the if statement as as a function in my head. I know it's not, but like I think about it that way. And so to me, like I want to put that parenthesis there as if it was a function or I want mm. to not have to have that print. If I have to have the parenthesis, it's a I'm passing in a list of parameters or something basically is the way my brain works. And if I don't have to have the parentheses, then it's fine. So Python, I write if x equals one colon, right? 
There's no parentheses yeah. needed in that statement. I can put them in if I want. I like that, but I like Python. So, you know. Yeah, no, that, that's a valid point. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at my advent of code project, which is a Ruby on rails website that has, uh, you know, subdirectories for each of the years that I've worked on and then subdirectories for each of the puzzles of that year. And in 2015, I have Python in 2019, I think I have JavaScript or node more, more specifically, cause I wanted to teach myself node. Like I've used node lots in inside of things like as part of larger projects, but I've never just done node, like just, you know, node name a file kind of a thing. So I wanted to kind of get more familiar with that. Um, in 2020, I try, I, I, so in 2019 and 2020, I have only done the first few, but 2019 was JavaScript node. 2020 is Lua, which I first used when I started doing Pico eight, uh, like retro console programming because it uses Lua for its main uh, thing. Although I remember first hearing about it back in the World of Warcraft days because that's mm. when all the mods and add-ons were made in Lua. But I didn't do that at that time, so I didn't I didn't really know it. Um, in 2021, I did Ruby, and in 2023, and then in 2022 with you, I did TypeScript. So I have five different years, five different programming languages. And I've been kind of jumping back and forth between them because I've been trying to make them all consistent with the way that we did 2023, mm. which was having like the generate script, the template, and yeah. So, so like if I wanted to make a new day, I could just run generate day five and it would make the folder and all the files. And so that required me to kind of context switch between all these different languages and be like, okay, what is like the simplest canonical script template for this language? Like how does it just run a script and how would I make it? So there's a solution one and a solution two, and those solutions take in a file that gets read and that maybe gets like uh, turned into an array of like strings. You know, if it's like a a list of things like inputs, it's going to take and they all do it differently. You know, they all do it differently. You can't just take one and plop it in the other. You know, you have to, uh, transcode, transpile, translate, whatever you want to say. Um, so that's kind of where this idea for this episode came from. It's just like, okay, there's so many different ways you can do the same thing, that you can read a file in, that you can change it into some kind of data structure, that you can then read that data structure. You know, I wanted to make a script that I could run from one root and run the year and the day's puzzle from any of those subdirectories in any of those languages. And so I had to make like a bash script that knew how to, you know, start each of them. So they all had to have like a shebang at the front. They all had to have, they all had to have the execute permissions. You know, it was like a whole, they're all doing the same thing, but I got to think about how do I write the one universal script that can just run any of these, no matter what I use. And that's that's kind of where all this came from. I, I don't know. What, what's your experience? Like, do you have experience doing anything like this where you have to work with various languages all at once? Yeah, uh, not quite to that extent. Um, but I've certainly had to work with um, having like a central library that then was loaded in by multiple different languages, uh, even if they were similar. Mm-hmm. So like I got a C++ library and I'm going to pull that into Objective-C over here, but I'm pulling it in to C uh, to a C++ project proper over there. And so like, there's, you know, there's some amount of having to think about that, but those operate pretty much the same. 
Um, mm. Where it would get interesting is if, if yeah, you were going into more and more divergent languages. Um, when I was in college, uh, I, I tried to learn as many languages as I can, uh, as I could, at least just to try them out. Um, just to, because each language kind of makes your brain think a little bit differently, unless they're super similar, mm-hmm. right? Like bouncing between, I don't know, like vanilla, uh, C++, Java, and JavaScript, or or TypeScript maybe, uh, all kind of look very similar. Uh, but there are, but you know, if you get deep in them, then they get different pretty fast. And their running environments are very different, you know. Uh, you've got compilers versus interpreters and all that fun stuff. As for managing multiple languages, I think the way you're doing it makes sense to me. For uh, Advent of Code, I've only tried out two languages, which are TypeScript and uh, Python. I've done Python two mm-hmm. years, and I have yet to try to make the... Each each of those years has been very different from each other in how I was running the overall uh, structure of my code because I've learned something mm-hmm. every year and I'm like, okay, I want to do this. I want to do that. Uh, I still want to make it so generic that I have kind of like an, a wrapper around the whole thing mm-hmm. that kind of runs it that can maybe do visualization based on in and out uh, parameters as opposed to trying to embed it into my code. It's Cause I want to, I want to take the language out because in a perfect world, yeah, we are writing software. We are not writing a particular language, right? The language is a yes. tool to get to the end and different languages are better at different things. If I want to do a bunch of asynchronous uh, crap in the background and I don't really care about the results, I'm much more likely to use something like JavaScript or TypeScript uh, because they're designed to not block, right? To do synchronous right. operations in there where you do care about the results as you go and you need to block. It's kind of annoying to write in them. Um, and since everything I write works like that, it's kind of annoying to write in them. Uh, <laughs> Python, great for a lot of things. Probably wouldn't use it for something that was super needed to be really optimized by time, right? So it'd be mm-hmm. nice if, in general, we could write a language and it just any language and output it to something that could run in any it, you know in the basic format. Um, I, I guess that's what an executable is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it also sounds like uh, it sounds like something when I first started learning .NET, Microsoft.NET, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you can write these programs in C or C plus or C sharp, sorry, C plus plus, C sharp, F sharp, Visual Basic, and it all compiles down to like some intermediary code that is then compiled to the executable or or however you're running it, and that's that's kind of like the dream, because yeah, if you don't have that. And you have instead what I was doing, which is essentially like, okay, you know, I need to do these basic things like file input and, and, you know, iterate on a list or something like that. Um, so you can tell I've been doing Python because I called it a list and not an array. <laughs> well, lists and arrays are different. Uh. <laughs> uh, in Python, what's the difference between a list and an array then? In Python, there isn't a difference, but just in general. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Okay. Um, a list... Lists have the ability, theoretically, to split them up and rejoin them, uh, more or less. And lists don't come with, uh, I guess, random access. Where you can, I want this element uh, by default. But in Python, they just did the best of both. <laughs> oh, I see. They're like, here's all the cool things about lists, but also we want this stuff from uh, arrays. So. <laughs> so so you're saying li- lists are just arrays but better? Yeah. The way okay. they're implemented in Python, yes. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, because I mean, I, I pretty much use them, uh, you know, synonymously. But that is actually a really interesting point about multilingualism is mm-hmm. different languages treat their like first class citizen uh, data structures differently. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's still to, I, I've been doing this like three years now and it still trips me up bouncing between Python and TypeScript because the way that Python natively uh, folds in the hash map, right? The dictionary um, mm-hmm. looks identical <laughs> to the way that TypeScript does objects, but they do mm-hmm. not function at all the same. And it really annoys mm-hmm. me. Programming languages are created by humans, and they are uh, they're they're not perfect, and and they learn over time, and and unfortunately, you know, you may start a programming language with certain syntax and rules, and then over time, it gains stuff from other languages uh, that it learns, much like human languages. I mean that that was another major point of this episode was that like trying to do the same basic things in all of these languages is a lot like uh, uh, learning human languages, which I also do for fun in Duolingo. You know, I mean, I'll start on a language and just start learning kind of the basics of like, you know, the the pronouns and the basic vocabulary and basic syntax of how to, you know, say, hey, how are you? My name is, you know, your dog stole my potato chips in Germany, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, Why was my dog and, in Germany? Uh, you know, you'll have to talk to your dog about that. I don't know. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> he heard about schnitzel and I don't know. Um, <laughs> he, uh, um, yeah. So trying to write like a template for like a canonical Python script versus a JavaScript script or a Lua script or a Ruby script is, is a very similar. It's just like, you know, how, how do you say hello world in these things or how do you, yeah. And so it, it's, it's fun for me in the same way because it's much harder to go deeper on these languages, like to learn like the really deep stuff, especially when it comes to like optimization or threading or, you know, uh, it, it, the, the, the things that like actual companies want you to be able to do uh, in the trenches. You know, I'm more interested because it's easier to kind of do the, the simple stuff, but in a lot of different languages, because I find that fun. Interesting. Yeah, so that's that's why I eventually this year finally was like, okay, I'm gonna start working on the advent of code repo. Yeah, I'm not thinking about it as in like, okay, oh, it's advent of code, it's 2023. Okay, create a new 2023 directory and just start writing scripts. No, now I'm ready for 2024 in whatever language because I have like this foundational knowledge. And I have some libraries. I have libraries in Python, JavaScript, Lua, Ruby, and TypeScript that do things like pull in a file or do a 2D array uh, graph or, or grid, that kind of stuff. Because I know now that that's important. And it's interesting to me, like I said, to learn how these different languages do them differently. You mentioned we're talking about Python, lists versus arrays, or uh, dictionaries versus hashes or objects or something like that. One thing about Lua that is, I mean, I assume by design, but it's 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 brain breaking. Like they don't have the concept of 
an array, really. They well, they do, but they call them tables, and they don't work mm. generally like arrays do in most other programming languages that I do. So it's like to do something in Lua that seems second nature in these other um languages takes a bit more. Like I actually had to find a essentially a plugin for Lua that someone else had written that treats tables like arrays so that you can use array functions like you're normal, like you're used to, except using the table data structure that Lua uses. And I'm like, really? I have to add a plugin just so I can, you know, slice an element out of an array or something like that? It, I, I forgot. It was very basic. And I was like, really? That's not a part of the language? Like, why would you build a language that can't handle array functions like that? So, but, you know. Well, again, I think Different languages are designed for different purposes. I, I think yeah. you and I approach learning languages differently, which is also why I can't learn human languages very well, um, <laughs> which is the way you describe that of like, okay, I'm learning the pronouns in this vocabulary. I want to learn things that way, and I have learned that I do not learn things that way. They don't stick. I have yeah. to jump in and use the thing and really understand like where it comes from. So I do better mm. with languages if I understand like, how they evolved to be what with what they are. And that's both true in human and artificial uh, languages. So for example, when you were talking about um, trying to make everything function similarly, I'm like, well, but is that the right approach? Right. Cause Ruby is object oriented at its core. So yeah. really anything you're doing in Ruby, you should be doing if you want to do it the Ruby way. Uh, by, you know, like munchy, munchy, by monkey patching, uh, oh. classes, um, and, you know, having, having all the various different, cl you know, classes for everything. Um, mm -hmm. and Python has, you know, its whole like Pythonic way of doing things. And so if you do, if you do it one way, it's wrong. If you're, uh, and if you do it this other way, it's right. Um, going into something like TypeScript or JavaScript those are designed much more around like um, map, reduce, filter, and things like that than, you know, Python is more these days, but it wasn't, I don't feel like, as much before. Whereas I don't necessarily ever think about doing that in Ruby. Then again, it's been 15 years since I wrote anything in Ruby. Uh, <laughs> um, so, like, I I like to really get at the why. Why is this programming language designed this way? Um, hmm. what's it for and how do I use it best for that? So for example, like JavaScript, uh, the why behind why it is the way it is, is cause it was written real fast is, mm -hmm. <laughs> is like a big portion of it. Uh, some of it's also, you know, we wanted to be non-blocking, et cetera, et cetera. But a big portion of it is just, they wrote it fast and yeah. now, and now we have to maintain backwards compatibility forever, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> is, is a huge part of why it functions the way it does. Python uh, approaches things from a different perspective. Like we're going to do one thing. We we have one way to do something. This is the correct way to do it. Yeah, yeah, sure. There's some other ways that maybe you could probably achieve the same result, but the correct way to do it is it's opinionated, right? Mm -hmm. um, Ruby, everything's an object, right? Lisp is its own everything's uh, a world, right? Parenthesis. Really, really, <laughs> if you're writing Lisp, you really should be writing like domain specific languages in Lisp and then using those to like, right. Uh, <laughs> Lisp, Lisp is all about like writing meta languages mm -hmm. to solve your problem. And like all of those are different ways of approaching things. And uh, 
much, like you said, much, much harder to get to the that kind of like core, deep uh, understanding of the language. But you have to start somewhere. And so I think what you're doing is a fantastic way to do that because you're getting your hands dirty with the language. Mm-hmm. And you'll realize as you go through, you're like, I'm really struggling with arrays in Lua, for example, right? Maybe mm-hmm. arrays aren't the right solution to this problem in Lua. And I need to have the same like general framework. But then by the time it hits... Instead of dropping it into an array, I'm going to drop it into this other structure, a table, whatever. And then I have to think about it differently from then down. Um, yeah. Having not ever done anything Lua, I don't have. <laughs> I can't be any more specific than that. I No, I, I, I love that perspective. Um, I think I've always been very much a, I don't want to say a renaissance man, but like I, I, I definitely enjoy the, the breadth of knowledge approach uh over the depth of knowledge and and i don't know exactly where that comes from i don't know like if i've ever made a realization about when i first started doing that um but i mean maybe it's like i you know i'm not trying to self-diagnose myself on the podcast but you know maybe it's kind of an attention uh span kind of i mean i wasn't gonna say it but my immediate (laughs) thought was well that's adhd clearly uh because i'm the same exact way uh i i like to like dip my dip my toes in the water on a lot of little things. I like to understand a little about a lot. And then every yeah. once in a while, I'll get really interested in one thing and I will deep dive on that. Um, but like when I, in college, when I was learning a bunch of languages, I like lisp. I did a lot of, cause I enjoyed it. Um, I liked the way it worked. It was very different from all the other languages I was using, but like fourth, I touched fourth like long enough to be like, okay, I hate fourth. <laughs> <laughs> I have not touched that. So Yeah. Fourth like is a stack-based language, if I remember correctly, where you uh, don't say three plus five, you say three, five plus, mm. and then mm-hmm. it pops off the previous two parameters that are on the stack and uses them, mm-hmm. which is cool and is a really, it was like a really interesting view into programming in a different approach. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I see where this came from. It's used a lot in like old calculators, you know, would do things like oh. that because uh, yeah. it makes sense. Feels very context specific language, yeah. but it's 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 hard to wrap your head around it. Jumping from something like fourth to even something like Ruby, which maybe they look vaguely similar, uh, but they function completely differently. And you, mm-hmm. that also goes into programming paradigms, right? If you got yeah functional programming versus procedure versus object oriented versus whatever they're doing this week, um, I'm sure there's a new thing that has something to do with AI. Uh, <laughs> yeah, prom- um, prompt, yeah. prompt, prompt, uh, programming. Yeah, it's all different, but it teaches you a lot. Of, it makes your brain expand and uh, think about solving problems in a different way. I think. Yeah, and 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 much like with uh, human languages, yeah, just doing the breadth approach, you find that there's so many different ways to approach the same basic parts of a language. Um, like just for instance. I'm looking at, uh, you know, JavaScript and TypeScript are very similar uh, in terms of the, the. I mean, they are the same syntax. It's just, you know, uh, JavaScript doesn't have the type. Uh, that's where the type in TypeScript comes from. So it's all loosely typed. Uh, but TypeScript comparing is that, a superset of JavaScript. Right. But like comparing something as simple as commenting, like in JavaScript and TypeScript, you know, you do like the double forward slash, or you can do the slash star to start a block. But in Ruby and Python, 
they use the, the hash. hash. Uh, and then in Lua, they use the triple dash. Why? Oh, I don't like I don't that know. at all. No, I don't like it either. But, well, A, it takes up two extra characters on a line, which I... That's why I don't like it. Not, not a fan of. Yep, so you can write that off. Um, but then other things... Uh, another thing that I like when I'm doing... Um, like terminal or command line programming where all the output is just on the command line is colors and they all do colors uh somewhat differently i mean there's a different plugin for each of them uh that i had to find and and the way that you use that plugin to essentially you know mark up your string is different uh you know the way that you op- that you create functions uh in lua you know it's all local function name of function parentheses in ruby it's def Function parentheses in JavaScript, it's just function. They get rid of the def, or sometimes uh, not even that. Uh. Right, you could have anon. Yeah, you could have anonymous functions that don't even have names. Uh, and then uh, Python also does the def. So Ruby and Python very similar, except they have the colon at the end. Um, <laughs> when you're doing classes in Python, one thing that I don't really understand why it's this way, but I just do it is that you have to supply the self or some variable meaning the self whereas i don't do that in any other programming language it seems unnecessary because this exists or i don't know but but that's just so that, something that's that where it, diving into the why comes in handy because you're like yeah oh it's a message passing system so uh-huh. it's the first thing is the is the person i'm passing it to um right but could that have been hidden from us yes yes, yes it um, could have <laughs> Also, I prefer self to this as a um, as a identifier for my currently operated upon object in mm-hmm. object oriented programming. But it's it's really Python. Uh, everywhere else is right. more or less this. Um, yeah, but I mean, it can be I any prefer word, that really. I prefer the hashes to the double slash for yeah. comments. And I, I don't know why. I, I just do. Yeah, yeah, I like the hash. The hash is fine. And then there's the environments that you have to run all these things in. That's very different, right? Uh, if I want to run JavaScript, mm-hmm. I can just run node, name of package. If I want to run TypeScript, I probably mm-hmm. have to compile that using TSC. Yep. First, um, Python, I can run it directly. Maybe you can run it directly. C++, nope, you got to compile that. Right. Um, and then the infrastructure is about like how you set up dependencies and how you install those dependencies is different per language. So doing something like what you're doing for Advent of Code is not a it's not a small task because there's so many little idiosyncratic nuances that you have to deal with uh, as you go, which I'm sure you are dealing with as you go through. Yes. This. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, we don't even need to get into the import versus require uh thing and then ruby has like require and require relative depending yeah. on where the package is uh you know sometimes you do like in uh in node uh you can do import or uh, you can do you know like variable like var or const some name equals require a package or you can do const and then you open curly braces and just the specific functions that you want yep. to pull in. Yeah, it, this, I mean, th- there's a lot of weeds that you can get into, but it's it's just interesting to me how they're all doing the same thing. They're all doing like, okay, I need a plugin or a module. Pull it in from somewhere. Okay, how do I do it in this language? Well, it's not the same. Okay, I want to run, I want to create a function. 
I want to create a variable. I want to create a comment. I want, you know, these are the hello worlds of the the language and they all do it a little differently. And, you know, when I'm working in one for a while and then I switch to another one, I invariably write it the old way. Um, and, but I think the takeaway from all this, I think, is that it is good to do this. It is important to understand, because like you said, much like human languages, the way you express things and the vocabulary and the syntax that you have at your disposal does color how you can communicate and how you think about the world. And using different programming languages that do it different ways does make you think differently. I mean, it's all zeros and ones at the end, but how you get there, you know, the journey is definitely important because it does make you think about these things differently and the way you approach solving problems. And and like you said, you know, the, the context that it's in, like why was this programming language created? You know, maybe it's useful in one context and not as useful in another context. And, you know, this exercise of just trying to create kind of like a universal, you know, run this year's and this day's puzzle uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Um, and it's interesting and I think it's a useful exercise. So I agree. That's why I, and that's you why know, it. it's kind of like, um, you know, if we, if we continue, if we abuse the analogy of human languages a little bit more, uh, oh, let's. When, when I travel, um, I like to experience the local culture specifically. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't care about museums or anything else. I want to see real people interacting in, real life um because i want to see how people function um so you know programming languages can be like that um you go on vacation and try out a language for a while and see if hey you know what maybe i can move here i couldn't have put it better myself um actually so once i finish with 2015 i think i may move on to 2016 and i think i'm going to try golang which i've never done before uh beyond a few like toy tutorials or something um the one thing about it that i think you have to compile it i think it's compiled into an executable or a some kind of runtime thing which i don't like because for advent of code it's much easier if it just uh you know you just interpret it but you know it is a popular thing and i and and uh you know it seems like it's not necessarily going away it's not a dying language so i figured it'd be a good next one to try i don't know and and you know different paradigm Different syntax, all that kind of stuff. So, I don't. Do, do you have any languages that you've been always meaning to try? Uh, Lua is actually high on my list. Um, there's some other things, uh, Haskell, Erlang, that I would like to try because they, again, they approach the problems from different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of that, there's also a heavier lift to getting started with them, and I haven't had the brain power or bandwidth to do that it's a it's a i mean advent of code is both a great way to get you to try it but it's also like you said when we started 2023 uh it's a huge mental burden to not only have to solve a problem but also figure out the idiosyncrasies of a language especially if you're not using it in any other context yeah Uh, so i i understand that yeah i and that's why it's perfect to try something like Golang on an old year when it's not active and I can just kind of putter away at it, which is what I've done with Python in 2015. I've just puttered over the last couple months here and there. Um, one last thing about 2015, since I've almost got all of them and I've only had to use like some uh, 
you know, some solutions from the Reddit uh, uh, subreddit a few times. I've mainly got it all on my own, which I think says a lot about the difficulty of 2023. 2015 is easier than 2023 and 2022 and 2021. It's gotten harder. And I think it's because there's just only so many problems and puzzles you can make. And, you know, I've seen a lot of similar ones and just the the input that he gives you and the things that part two comes up with. 2015, not as nearly as many surprises. So, I mean, I think this is... Uh, empirical evidence that it has gotten harder and I don't feel as bad about 2023 being unfinished. But uh, yeah, if you want to go back and feel better about yourself, 2015 is is a good place to start. <laughs> well, now I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want you to because there's definitely some fun ones in there. I Without spoiling too much, there is a uh, there's two problems near the end about essentially simulating a role-playing battle system. Cool. So get 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 in on that. I think that wraps it up for this episode. This actually went a lot longer than I was expecting, but, you know, that's just how it is. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed this episode of Hacking the Grepson about multilingualism. If you want to listen to more episodes, we're at hackingthegrepson.com. We try to put out an episode once every other week on Wednesday. And uh, I I swear, except in passing, this is the last time that Advent of Code until December is going to be a topic. We're going to move on to other topics next time. Um, But until then... We now return you to your regularly scheduled lives already in progress. 